our children really knew that story well from the children's sermon. I think our Sunday school teachers need to take a bow in the back there. That was great to hear. So again, we're in this series on names, and you can kind of picture a name tag like this. Hello, my name is Jacob. So I get to introduce you to Jacob, who as our children knew already, becomes Israel. So that's the sermon title this morning. Hello, my name is Jacob. Have you ever met someone whose name just doesn't fit them? Have you ever had that moment of being introduced to someone and you're like, no, I don't, I don't think you are a Mark, actually. You know, that's my name. Lindsay and I play, sometimes play this game. It doesn't make any sense at all, but we, we think it's funny. We've been doing it for years where we're driving in the car and we see someone passing on the street or in a car and, you know, folks that we've never met before, we try to guess what their name should be. Is that just us? It seems like maybe it's just us. Yeah. But we love playing that game, just trying to guess. What does that person, oh, they, yeah, yeah, that person, now they definitely are a mark. That's a mark for sure. Yeah. Every now and then you hear stories of couples who they give birth to their child and they have had a name picked out for months. And then they give birth to the child and they look at the child and they decide, that's not the right name. Have you all heard stories like that before? Maybe some of you even had that experience as new parents where you have a name picked out and then for whatever reason it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't seem right. I had a friend whose nickname was like that as a friend from college. His nickname was Tank. Tank was 5'3 and 110 pounds. <laughs> it just didn't fit. It wasn't exactly right. But today I'm introducing you to Jacob, and Jacob has a name that fits him just right. You may remember from our scripture last week that Abraham and Sarah give birth to a son in their old age, and they give him the name Isaac, and Isaac means laughter. That name made a lot of sense because laughter was their response when they heard that they would be having a child in their 90s. Their son Isaac would go on to marry Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca also had difficulty conceiving. But Rebecca eventually gives, gets pregnant with twins. And she gives, gets pregnant with these twins when she's in her 60s. So, you know, 60 compared to Abraham's 100. She's in, very young for her, giving birth to her first child. In Genesis 25, we learn a little bit about those twins that Rebecca is about to give birth to, and it's a foreshadowing of what's to come. And God even tells Rebecca this, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the elder shall serve the younger. And that's exactly what happens with her twins. Rebecca gives birth to the twins, and in this series on names, I want to tell you about their names. The first child is born, the first twin is born. We're told in Scripture that he's covered in hair, and so he's given the name Esau, which means hairy. The second child is also a boy, 
and he comes out grasping his brother's heel. He comes out grasping Esau's heel. And so he's given the name Jacob, which means heel or takes by the heel. Now, we don't hear that term heel much anymore, but Webster defines the term heel as a person who is self-centered or untrustworthy, and it's a perfect fit for who Jacob is, at least at the beginning of his life. The name Jacob means heel, but it also can mean he supplants, and that's what he does in the next passage in Genesis. Already, as our children have pointed out in the children's sermon, the first thing that Jacob does is he tricks Esau out of his birthright as the firstborn. And he tricks Esau out of his birthright over a bowl of stew. Do you remember that story? Esau the hunter comes in hungry and famished. Jacob is cooking a stew and exchanges the birthright for a bowl of stew. And then just two chapters later in Genesis... Jacob supplants Esau by tricking their father out of the traditional firstborn blessing. That blessing was passed down from Abraham to Isaac, and it was supposed to be given to Esau. But Jacob, with the help of his mom, gets goat skins and puts those goat skins on his arms and neck. Do you remember this story too? And he tricks his father, who is blind, into him thinking that he is his brother Esau, his hairy brother Esau. And so the blessing that was intended for Esau is given to Jacob. That promise that was supposed to be carried on through the firstborn is given to Jacob. And so the scripture comes true. What God had said to Rebekah comes true. That the older serves the younger. Esau, when he finds out that Jacob has tricked his father, he's furious, as you can imagine. And so he wants to go after Jacob. He threatens Jacob's life. And Jacob has to flee. He has to flee their home. So as he is trying to escape on this journey, which is told in the book of Genesis, Jacob meets a beautiful woman named Rachel, and he wants to marry Rachel. And Jacob, who is the trickster, is tricked himself, and he has to work for Rachel's father for many years before he can marry Rachel. But at the end of that, Jacob becomes the supplanter again. He becomes the trickster again, and he tricks Rachel's father out of much of his possessions and wealth. And so once again, Jacob is fleeing for his life. But now Jacob has a great company of people and animals and possessions with him. And as he's fleeing for his life from Rachel's father, he's headed straight back towards Esau. He's headed straight back towards this brother that he had cheated. And this is about when we start to pick up this story. Through messengers, Jacob sends a message to Esau asking for peace. He's asking this brother, which he has supplanted and tricked, for peace. And the messengers return, and this is what they tell Jacob. We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. That's how scripture puts it. And 400 men are with him. Excuse me? (laughs) 
Can you say that again? This is one of those don't kill the messenger messages, messages to give. 400 men are with Esau. So you can imagine what Jacob is thinking at this point. My brother is coming after me. He's terrified. And so it's after all of this, all of this story, that we come to Genesis 32 in our passage for today. And when we come to this passage, you can see things don't look good for Jacob. They don't look good for him. The scripture tells us that Jacob is spending the night by himself, and he's preparing to meet Esau, who's coming with this force of 400 men. You see, God has sent Jacob back to face his past. God has sent Jacob back to face the results of his deception and his destruction. And Jacob, or the heel, will soon have to face Esau face to face. No longer grasping from behind, but facing his brother face to face. In his fear and in his regret and in his uncertainty of what will happen next, Jacob finds himself all alone that night in our passage from Genesis. Have you ever had to face your past? Have you ever had to turn back to face events or conflicts that you would have preferred to just leave behind? Have you ever spent a restless, sleepless night in anticipation of what the next day is going to bring. That was the restless night for Jacob. Our scripture tells us that while Jacob was alone at that camp, a man starts wrestling with him. We don't know who this man is. We don't really know where this man has come from. The Bible gives us no introduction, no real clues. His identity is unknown to the reader, and it's unknown to Jacob as well. But this wrestling match goes on and on. But this mysterious man realizes that Jacob was born to wrestle. He's been wrestling since he was born. He's been wrestling since the womb with his brother. And this man, this mysterious man, realizing that he's not going to be able to overcome Jacob before daybreak, he knocks Jacob's hip out of socket. But even with his hip out of socket, Jacob refuses to let go. He's been grasping from his birth, and he continues to hang on to this man. The man asks to be let go, but Jacob responds that he won't let him go unless that man blesses him. It seems that Jacob was always looking for a blessing. And then, as if this story wasn't strange enough, the man asks Jacob's name. Jacob gives his name, and the man says this, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, or the one who wrestles with God, for you have struggled with God and with humans and have prevailed. Jacob wants to know this unknown man's name, too. But that mysterious man refuses to reveal it. And so in this story, something changes for Jacob. Jacob has to give up. He has to let go. He has to let go without knowing what he wants to know. 
That man does bless him before he exits the scene, but we never learn his name. In this series, in this sermon series about the importance of names, it's uh, worth noting that Jacob names that place. He calls it Peniel, or the face of God, because he says, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. We don't know if this mysterious man was God's own self. We don't know if maybe it was an angel, as it's sometimes represented in religious art. But we do know that Jacob has clearly had an experience with the divine. In his fear, in his shame, in his concern about finally seeing Esau face to face, Jacob finds himself wrestling with all of these unknowns. And in the midst of it, Jacob finds himself face to face with God. The next morning, now with a limp from that late night wrestling match, Jacob, or Israel, gets up and he heads to face his brother, Esau. Have you ever struggled with the unknown? Have you ever wrestled with the uncertainty of the future? Have you ever found yourself in a wrestling match with God? Maybe even struggling to hang on to God by the heel. I'm sure that you have. I know that I have. You've had those moments probably where your strength is put to the test. Your optimism and your outlook are put to the test. Your faith is put to the test. And actually, that's a phrase that I don't much like. Faith put to the test. Because wrestling with the unknown, wrestling with your calling or your beliefs, is not a test of faith. That's what faith is all about. Let me say it this way. Faith is not endangered by struggle. Faith is defined by struggle. Faith is not endangered by struggle. Faith is defined by struggle. Faith is not something we protect in a decorative glass box watching diligently for smudges and scratches and cracks. Faith is more like a sturdy children's toy. You know, a sturdy children's toy that can take punishing, that it can be well used and abused. A toy that's made to take that punishment. Like the kid's toy, and this is no joke, that Lindsay plunged out of our toilet. <laughs> a little bit of Clorox, or a lot of Clorox, and that sturdy toy was good to go. <laughs> That's kind of my image for the faith, too. Faith is built for the struggle. It's not in conflict with it. There's a classical definition of theology that I love. I know I've shared it many times before. It's in Latin, it's fides corens intellectum. That means faith seeking understanding. Seeking understanding. Faith not having all the understanding or knowing it all, but seeking understanding. Faith doesn't shy away from doubts. It constantly seeks and struggles for understanding. It's not scared of uncertainty and the unknown. Faith seeks it out. 
Faith is not threatened by the struggle. It's defined by the struggle. What are you wrestling with this morning? What unknown are you face to face with? Have you ever found yourself in a throwdown match with God? Don't be afraid of the struggle. Struggle is not a threat to your faith. It's a part of your faith. The struggle is part of your journey. It's part of your identity and who God is making you to be. Remember, Jacob got a new name through that wrestling match. Israel, the one who struggles with God. And I think that name is a compliment. It becomes the name of a great nation and a great people. Israel, the one who struggles with God. Jacob's struggling with the unknown was not something to be forgotten or wished away. It was part of what defined him and allowed him to keep going. And it's not just Jacob's name that changes in this story. His motivation and his attitude also change. In that middle of the night struggle, something happens to Jacob. Finally, Jacob doesn't get his way. He asks for the man's name, and the man refuses to give it. It's just it's this little detail in the passage, but I love it. Jacob asks the man, tell me your name too. And the man doesn't give it to him. And he refuses. And we don't really know why. Scripture tells us that detail. Except that I think that it does show us that in this moment, finally for Jacob, he just has to let go. He can't get his way. He has to let go and he has to let the unknown be the unknown. It's that little detail, but it might just represent a significant shift in Jacob's life. Life for Jacob was no longer about getting his way. For Jacob, who stole that blessing and stole that birthright, this is not an insignificant shift. Life is not all about him anymore. And it's with that shift in attitude and motivation that now Jacob can walk towards his brother Esau. He's walking with a limp now, but now he can walk towards Esau. Esau and those 400 men approach Jacob. Jacob's terrified. But this is what happens next. This is what Genesis 33 says. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Esau runs to him and embraces him. And then this is what Jacob tells Esau. He says, to see you, to see my brother's face is like seeing the face of God. Jacob was not through wrestling with God in his life. If you go on and continue to read in Genesis, it makes that abundantly clear. It's also made clear that Jacob is not through making mistakes. Genesis details those mistakes as well. But in this moment, in this encounter, after all those years, after all those regrets and mistakes, when he meets his brother, 
And it's like meeting and seeing the face of God. Jacob is able to let go of having to know it all and have it all. And when Jacob finally lets go, he's blessed again. Jacob encounters the face of God in the midst of his struggle. He sees the face of God in the face of his brother who forgives him and embraces him. So when Jacob, the heel grabber, finally lets go, he gains. When Jacob, the heel grabber, finally lets go of having his own way, he's able to let God have God's way with him. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we sometimes struggle with you. We struggle to understand how you are working in our lives, but also in this world, which is so full of pain and conflict and heartache. God, at times it feels like you are a mysterious stranger. But the truth of this scripture is that you are in the struggle with us. We are fighting together. And so it's okay for us to have unknowns. It's okay for us to have doubts and confusions and big questions. And it's also okay for us to let go. To give up our own plans and agendas so that we can let you take over. So that we can let you have your way with our lives. Help us, O oh God, to give ourselves to you as we continue to pray for and hope for and work for your peace and your love to transform this world like it transformed Jacob and Esau's. So all these things we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our living Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.